Hey, what's up, guys? Travis here. Today's episode is a very special one to me. This is the first time that I have been interviewed on someone else's podcast. I got an Instagram message from uh, my buddy over at the Forever White Belt podcast. I don't know him actually in person, but we Instagram talk a lot and made a connection. And he asked if I wanted to come on his show. And he actually plans on having John on his show also. But he decided to do our interview separately, and it was a blast. I hope you guys enjoy this. It was definitely cool to have someone ask me questions and me sit down and kind of more philosophically go into my beliefs and my ideas behind jujitsu and how I feel it should be, and then also when it comes to how we do our podcast and, and whatnot. So it was a fantastic episode. He does a great job. It was actually our original interview is almost two hours long, and he cut it down to one hour, and it sounds great. I listened to it a little bit myself. If you guys don't know or haven't listened to him yet, once again, it's the Forever White Belt podcast. Uh, Go follow him on Instagram. Go to his website, Forever White Belt. Every social media platform has Forever White Belt. It is a great show. Honestly, I don't listen to very many jiu-jitsu podcasts. I know, I know, kind of weird, but he, I definitely listen to his Almost every single time he has a brand new episode. If I'm not listening to something else like an audiobook or something at the time, I definitely make it a point to listen to his. It is fantastic. So it was a great pleasure to have him ask me to come on and be interviewed by him. He's a great interviewer. He asks amazing questions. And it was a great experience. Definitely, not going to lie, though, had a little bit of the imposter syndrome going on. Like once I actually started to answer the questions and give my opinion on things. Afterwards, I was kind of self-conscious about it, you know, to be honest with you guys. I was like, what, what do I know? I'm just a two-stripe white belt, you know? I don't, I don't want to come off as kind of, you know, a, a, a jerk or a douche or whatever. But it, it came out good, and I think it sounds great, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So please, please, please give him and us five-star review on iTunes. Go check him out on all social medias, Forever White Belt. Check us out. Go to our website, elbowstight.com. Check out the blog. Uh, we have a lot of stuff going on in the background right now, and, and there's a lot of things that John and I are trying to do to to build the podcast and, and make more value for you guys in every episode and in every endeavor that we, we take on. So thank you guys so much for all the support lately. It's been absolutely insane. I cannot describe to you guys the amount of uh, support we've had lately. So thank you guys so much. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Forever White Belt podcast. It's not even mine. It's Forever White Belt. See you guys later. Thanks. Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. In this episode, I have the pleasure of having a blue belt to blue belt conversation with Travis Model, one of the hosts of the Irreverent Elbows Tight podcast. Go to elbowstight.com for more information. Travis is a two-stripe blue belt at Pacific Northwest Jiu-Jitsu in Washington State under black belt Alvin Martino. In this episode, we talk about Travis's experience with creating a podcast and video show, CrossFit, setting goals, jiu-jitsu in the family, the white and blue belt experience thus far, and a lot more. Talking to Travis is like talking to an old friend over a beer and just shooting ideas back and forth, peppered with as much humor as possible. In short, it's a lot of fun. Some housekeeping notes. 
Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out Forever White Belt merchandise at teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt and become a patron by clicking the support button at the Anchor FM forward slash Forever White Belt webpage. Also like our Facebook page to get all the latest at facebook.com forward slash Forever White Belt and check us on all the socials by searching for, you guessed it, Forever White Belt. And with that, I give you Travis Model. Welcome to Forever White Belt. I am your host, Adolfo Ferrando, with a very special guest, and you are... My name is Travis Model. Travis, welcome to the show, man. So if you guys don't know, Travis is one of the hosts of the Elbows Tight podcast, one of my top three Brazilian oh, wow. Jiu-Jitsu podcasts. I appreciate that. Thank you. As you guys, Travis is a blue belt, right, currently? Yes, sir. And under which academy? We are under Ivan Sakamoto out of Okinawa, Japan, except for our black belt is Alvin Martino, who got his black belt from Ivan Sakamoto. So our black belt in the school is Alvin, but we're under Ivan Sakamoto lineage. So you are based down currently out of Washington State, correct? Yes, sir. Yep, yep. Right out of Washington State. Beautiful Washington State. So where are you training there? I train at Pacific Northwest Jiu-Jitsu is where I train at right now. And your co-host is John, and John's last name is? John Tier. All right, so let's get into this because it's kind of confusing here. We have a Japan here. We have a Washington right. State here. Mm-hmm. We have this guy, John, who's a co-host. How does all this stuff sort of congeal, you know? So the owner of the school's name is Cody Smith, and he is originally a former amateur MMA fighter. Yeah. And he was talking about jiu-jitsu one day. And so we're like, man, you need to open a school. You need to open a school. And finally he did. And when he opened the school, we didn't have a real black belt that we were under yet because the guy that w- Cody got his blue belt from, things didn't work out. So we kind of were just, Cody was a purple belt now, and we kind of just did our own thing. We did a lot of Gracie, like combatives and stuff like that. And uh, after a while, we had uh, a brown belt at the time named Alvin come in and showed us some things. And we're like, oh, man, this is great. Like, this guy knows his stuff and everything like that. And it was so, uh, it was so nice, right, having that higher awesome. belt up there and just... Started kicking our butts up and down the mat, right? And then so Cody asked Alvin to kind of be the lead instructor. And one thing led to another. Alvin just came from Japan, mm-hmm. where he was active duty Navy. And then his black belt out there was Ivan Sakamoto. So he invited Ivan out to introduce us to him and do a seminar and whatnot and promote a couple people. And one of the huh. people was Alvin. He got his black belt that night also. So after that, we were kind of under the Alvin lineage under Ivan Sakamoto. And the way that I got John is John actually is one of my coworkers, one of my good friends outside of work. And he just started at the school with us. And we were actually in Japan where we were training with a couple friends under Maliki Friedman's Purple Belts. During it, I was like, man, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. I was like, I, I want to start a podcast. And I was like, well, I kind of don't want to do it myself. Like, like I'm a yeah. very social person. And so yeah. I was like, I was like, hey, John, you want to start a podcast with me? He's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, let's start a podcast. Let's, let's, let's base it around like the struggles you go through when you first start off. Like, let's just document our struggles as white belts and what we're mm-hmm. going through and then talk to our friends that are fellow white belts or blue belts. And then, you know, it's just kind of like build from there. And mm-hmm. it's been amazing doing it, man. I just I wouldn't believe all the people that I've got to meet and things I've got to do because because of jujitsu and the podcast. And then we started Elbows Tight Podcast, I think about two years ago. Have you always had this sort of gift of gab? You two are the perfect sort of combination because you can talk. And then John's sort of like the straight man, you know what I mean? Also, so you guys bounce off of each other really well. Have you always been like this as a kid? When I was younger, I was definitely kind of more introverted. And I still am kind of shy. And I don't really like talking about myself too much and whatnot. So that's why doing this, I was like, oh, man, I'm actually going to have to answer questions about myself. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, but when I was younger, I was, I, I wouldn't say popular, but I'm very outgoing once I get to know people and I kind of just force my, myself into people's lives sometimes. But I think when it comes to the podcast, I think it is that dynamic between John and I that makes me be a little bit more of the lead in it. You know what I mean? Because if, yeah. if both of us, and it, it's great, it's a great chemistry because if both of us were, you know, chatty Cathy's, then... I feel like we would really talk over each other and whatnot. But the thing I love about John is he's, you know, he's not, he doesn't talk a whole lot, but he always brings amazing insight and he, he researches these people to where I'm like, I didn't even know that man, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. it's great. So we really feed off each other and just make, make the dynamic for interviews like so much better. That's a great point. Because one of the great points that John actually brought up was in your last interview, I remember with Nathan Orchard, which was a great one, by the way. And he brought up, he was going to, I think, wrist lock him. He was saying, and he's like, well, I kind of hesitated because, you know, it's Nathan Orchard and maybe I should, maybe that's not cool to do or not. And I'm like, like, what a a great little piece of insight there. Do you do that to like a, you know, a traveling black belt who's coming in and and giving you a a seminar or something like that? Right. Yeah, no, that was definitely because John, quick stories about wrist locks is John is the one that turned me into someone that likes to wrist lock. And the first time he ever tapped me in two years of jujitsu was with a wrist lock. And so right. I was like, no, I'm going to have to learn these things. And so, yeah. <laughs> and John just recently, we have a, we're under a newer black belt or a new black belt. And so John went to wrist lock him in the middle of the role. He went to go wrist lock our black belt. And the guy kind of was like, I can't believe you just did that. And so now John's like hesitant on doing wrist locks on people, but <laughs> I, I love them. They're great. I noticed that you guys actually have a history with CrossFit and your wife as well. And you guys are really fit, but I don't think your wife is a practitioner, a BJJ practitioner per se, right? But man, she looks super strong. She looks like she would be a beast on the mats, right? Yeah, so my wife, I'm, I'm trying to convince her to do it, man. Maybe you can help me and, and convince her to do it. <laughs> man, yeah, she should. She's great. My wife and I met when she first came to our CrossFit gym, and I was mm-hmm. a coach at the time. That's how we met was through fitness, and she does more the bodybuilding stuff. She competed as a bodybuilder for a while, oh. so that's why she has the physique that she does. But I, mm-hmm. I tell her all the time, like, if there's one person in this world that needs to do jujitsu, it's unfortunately mm. like women, you know what I mean? Like, or any woman in general should right. learn how to defend themselves. It's an unfortunate time, you know, thing that has to happen. But I think it's just one, it builds self-confidence mm-hmm. knowing that you can help out. And then two, it's fun. It's a good workout, you know? Right. And then my son is super introverted. When he first started jujitsu, he didn't even like people like grabbing his lapel or his collar or anything like that. He was so out of his element. But yeah. now he's now because of it, he's exponentially more open with people and talks wow. and, yeah, and whatnot. So it's done a lot for the family and whatnot. How do you balance a strength training regimen and jujitsu? Because, you know, that's a lot of abuse on the body. What's your percentage of jujitsu and CrossFit if you're even still doing CrossFit? I usually do nine jujitsu days. I'll I'll lift in my garage. I have a gym in my garage now since the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And so days that I don't do jujitsu, I lift. And uh, what I do now wow. is I do Chad Wesley Smith. We had him on. He has yeah, a fantastic episode, by the way, oh, you guys, you got to check it out. So he has, like he talks about, he has his juggernaut strength and conditioning yeah. for yeah. Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners. And that's what I do when I ah, work out. Okay. So, and it's great. But I, I used to, until I smartened up, try to CrossFit or exercise and then go do jiu-jitsu. And I, I, I would just, it was hard. It was way too hard. So I, I stopped wow. doing that. And so now I do like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are jiu-jitsu days. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Sunday are lifting and exercising. So I try to have that nice little split. So are you seeing your jujitsu days as your recovery days? Because I'm thinking, when does your body rest? 
That's a good question. I don't think the exercise program that Chad Wesley Smith programs is made to hurt your body. So for physical adaptation, obviously, you have to have some sort of breakdown and recovery to build muscle strength, right? Mm -hmm. Basic physiological science behind exercise. Yes. But I don't think it's ever to the point to where I never really get sore from it. I have felt way stronger, and he programs it very smart because he knows people are going to do jujitsu with it. So mm. I never really feel like my body's ever beat up really anymore. If anything, I feel better now wow. because I'm exercising more. And so I have that strength and conditioning, and then I go into my jujitsu, and my jujitsu just feels so much better now that I actually started a little bit more strength and conditioning training because of it. So what do you like to play? Oh, man, I love pressure. What's your A game? Oh, man, I, I, I kind of go step by step here. So what okay. I like to do is hopefully they're sitting and I just stand up and go straight into their guard. My right foot forward and then I just knee cut right past into side control. Mm. And then yes. my bread and butter move, and hopefully people don't listen to this and know that I'm going to do this, yeah. <laughs> is I'll probably, go, I'll probably go neon belly or I'll probably go north-south and go for a Kimura. That is like mm-hmm. my percentage rate of hitting that is very high. Shoulder locks or shoulder manipulation is probably mm-hmm. my favorite. And then wrist locks too, whenever I can get a nice little wrist lock in there, get, let people know, like, better watch it. <laughs> so what are you interested in experimenting with? I think where I need to definitely play more is from like spider or lasso Mm. or more of my open guard. I feel Mm. like my my open guard is super easy to pass. It's it's, same. You know, yeah, it's like, like, I'm like, oh, whatever. They're passing my guard. Okay. But I definitely feel like that is probably my weakest area and I do need to work on that. And when I do work on it, I feel a little bit of a gain. But I just don't do it enough because I'm so bad at it. And it's it's not an excuse. Same. You know, I, should, I definitely should play it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I see these, you know, these John Thomases of the world. And I'm like, man, it looks so cool. Yeah. I would love to be able to have, you know. But when I try it, it's like, boop, my legs get thrown yeah. over. It's done. I've been doing jiu-jitsu for, you know, coming up on three years now. And, and when a day one white belt passes my open guard, I'm like, I just got to work on this, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of day one white belt, what was day one like for you? Day one, I had a little bit of self-awareness, especially from exercising and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. I laugh about it because I thought I was physically fit. I was probably one of the best shapes of my life when I started jiu-jitsu. And then Mm -hmm. the first five minutes, I was like, I would literally die if I was on the street right now. (laughs) There there would be no way I would survive (laughs) if I was taken to the ground. (laughs) It was an eye-opener. And that's honestly what grabbed me was me realizing, man— just a little bit of training makes a huge difference in this. Just knowing yeah. how to react to someone that's going buck wild on you is powerful. Yeah. So that day yeah. one was definitely an eye opener. And I recommend it to everyone. If you haven't tried it, just do it one time. It just either one or two things are going to happen. Either you're going to realize I need this or you're going to realize like I'm not going to get in a fight. So it sounds like there wasn't really like an established, well, I should say sort of introduction day one kind of thing. You know, when he came in like, okay, so this is what a guard is and this is why you're shrimping. If It sounds like you were rolling day one or something like that, correct? Yes and no. So okay. I guess I can go a little bit deeper into that. So the first day that I officially did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was a seminar from Cody's old black belt that came down, Alan, from Virginia. He was hosting a, a three-day seminar at our wow. school, teaching us the very basics of everything, self-defense, guard, retention, things like that. So and fundamentals so, kind of thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was all fundamentals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it was only three days, and some people got some stripes after completing the three-day seminar if they were mm-hmm. white belts because, you know, they kind of got a little bit of the basics. Yeah. So I came in on the third day, I believe. And so, you know, it was a whole lot of standing there, hand fighting, 
an assailant's throwing a punch at you. Mm. How do you deflect the punch? And Alan, the black belt at the time, was saying, you know, he used to be a bodyguard and bouncer. Mm. And so, you know, he was giving us real-life scenarios of where he wouldn't punch people. He would just slap them in the ear as hard as he can. He's like, mm-hmm. no one's going to move forward with the hard slap in the ear. So he was showing us how to slap people and whatnot. And that was like day one for me. And then afterwards wow. it was, yeah. And then afterwards it was, okay, let's roll. So, yeah, I've been rolling since day one. And some days I've definitely felt it more than others. <laughs> wow. Your thoughts, should an academy have like a an introductory sort of like, let's give you context type of day one type of situation you think? Like if you were president of the jujitsu <laughs> land and you yeah. had your own academy, I right? snap my fingers, right? You're, yeah, yeah, boom, you're a coral <laughs> belt suddenly. Your thoughts on how a beginning white belt path should go? Because my experience from my journey through jujitsu was me learning the fundamentals with a group of people, right? That the school started right at the seminar. So wow. everyone that was there was basically white belts. That's so unique. Yeah. yeah, it was great. And because of that, we all had a level playing field. We all knew nothing. That's so fantastic. It was amazing. And I honestly think it's my jujitsu is the way it is today is because of that, right? And so I understand as a brand new white belt, the importance of learning what guard is, how a very simple way to break guard, how to mm. escape mount, how to elbow escape, how to do these things. And for someone to come in, and I've seen it many times, mm-hmm. for someone to come in day one and you're going over spider guard or De La Hiva or mm. X guard or, you know what I mean? Like all these yeah. very intricate, nuanced positions I definitely think there needs to be some sort of indoctrination on, hey, yeah, this is this is X guard, and we're getting there from half guard, but this is half guard. Mm. There needs to be something to help them because it's very overwhelming. It's yeah. extremely overwhelming for some to come in, and everyone else is moving great or kind of understanding it, and they're like, um, I don't even yeah. know what a shrimp is. You know, right. like, I don't exactly. know what mount yeah. is. So I definitely yeah. think having a beginner's course is very important. Even at CrossFit, we had it. As a CrossFit coach, we had it in doc. We had a beginner's mm. course. So when mm. people showed up, we're like, hey, we know you want to do this exercise with the with the class, but we're going to take two or three days and teach you movements and do workouts with you that explain these movements better. And then we'll put you into the class with everyone else. So I, I know the benefit of that. But, you know, a lot of people, there's two type of people, right? Someone that shows up to jujitsu class that is very intimidated and kind of, you know, wants to learn from the beginning. And then someone mm-hmm. that wants to roll and doesn't want to learn anything. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But I think definitely schools <laughs> should have an indoc. That's interesting. I remember Jason Scully uh, saying something really resonated was sometimes, you know, people don't even know day one if they're supposed to go forward or even backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what's breaking out of a closed guard? What yep. What is that even? Why? And after I do that, do I go forward? Do I go backwards? And right. What, that's how completely out of context it is, right? And a lot of the old schoolers were like, hey, that's, you know, we all go through it. We all, you know, suffer through the whole thing. But I'm thinking and I'm hearing more and more of these people getting a little more strategic about their day one and their early white belt induction. I wonder if that's going to, it seems like it's changing. Right. Much like anything, the more notoriety and exposure it gets, holes start getting thrown into it or get start mm-hmm. seeing and I relate everything back to CrossFit because that was the first thing that really grabbed my attention sure. as an adult. When CrossFit first started, you didn't do bicep curls. You, you didn't do heavy benching or stuff like this. It was all functional movements was the idea behind it. Hmm. But now mm-hmm. people are realizing, well, that puts a lot of holes in people's fitness and general health, right? Hmm. Because, yeah, bicep curl may seem unconsequential before not doing it. But mm-hmm. there's real life situations, right? You're picking up a grocery bag. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a bicep curl, right? So then sure. people started to realize that and things started to change. And I think with jujitsu, right, it, the hardcore traditionalist is kind of 
getting put to the wayside and people are starting to realize like, yeah, it's great to do that. But business wise and retention wise and general knowledge for people, we, we have to start showing them these other things to help them with their journey. Let's go back to Elbows Tight. Tell me about the beginnings, your learning experiences of the disasters that may or may not have happened or those type of things too. Before I started Elbows Tight Podcast, I was, I've always been big into video games and playing video games. And so I tried to be like a Twitch streamer for a little bit. So I had a little oh, bit cool. of experience with broadcasting and talking in front of people and whatnot. And so I thought I was able to grab a couple USB microphones and then just press <laughs> just record go. and <laughs> yeah, it was going to totally. be okay. Right? I was like, well, they do it with XLR microphones. So why can't I do it with USB? It was a, it was a dash. If you go listen to episode one of Elbows Tight Podcast, there's so much reverb and echoing in it. I can't listen to it myself. It's a great episode. It really introduces us, but I go back and I'm like, man, maybe we should just like write this down, transcript it, and then redo the whole episode. You know, and when, when you start getting more into these things, I'm sure you can attest to it, right? We talked about Chad Wesley Smith's microphone in our interview. When you start doing this more, you start getting a keen eye for it, or, you know, you start seeing the beauty and the art in good audio quality or good video quality. Now I listen back at the beginning episodes. I'm like, I thought this sounded good. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but the most recent one is our interview with Roy Dean, man. Oh my gosh, just disaster. <laughs> I put in some work to make sure that it was okay. So we start the interview, and he's like, Oh, make sure you know everything is good, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. We already tested everything out. And the camera was overheating and started shutting off, and oh, it, no. he was mid answers. Oh, right? no. Mid answer, and he would just stop <sighs> and be like, Hmm. Well, that's weird. And then I realized the camera's off and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Our uh, Zoom H6 recorder, it oh, it God. started like taking a crap on us. Batteries died. Memory and, card And Roy Dean, full. this is a big deal. I mean, this is a, yeah. you know, an important figure in the community. Yeah. And he is the one that really kind of put a lot of influence into our jujitsu journey. So we were having someone on that both of us looked up to immensely, right? right? We were like, holy crap, we're getting this guy. And for everything to go as a disaster Ugh. midway through, I'm talking, the camera literally shut off three times and I didn't <laughs> record any audio. So thank God we fixed our Zoom call to where oh, the audio man. was listenable on the Zoom call because other than that, there would have been a scrap. So that was our most recent one, but usually we're pretty good. I have like triple quadruple fail safes to in case something like that happens. He was definitely understanding of the whole thing. And every time something happened, I would apologize. And he's like, don't apologize. It happens, man. He's like, nothing's going to always be perfect. He's like, when I first started doing my YouTube videos and audio and stuff like that, I felt like everything had to be perfect all the time. Right. And he's like, then you start realizing most people won't notice imperfections and, or most people don't care about imperfections. You know, they just, mm. they're there for you. They're there for the content. So mm -hmm. don't sweat it. And, you know, it was kind of reassuring, but still I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I was still like kind of upset that it was happening to me. <laughs> well, it seems like you guys have done a lot of iterations with the podcast itself. Can you talk about like that journey in terms of equipment and stuff like that? When we first started the podcast, I had two newer to get in the techie side for people yeah. out there. So I just had two newer USB condenser microphones and they're super tinny did not sound good. They had a hum mm -hmm. in them and everything. And if you go listen to episode one, that's those microphones. And yeah. after editing that episode, I was like, 
No, absolutely not. So we got we ended up buying, we went half in on a Zoom H6 recorder. It is a six channel XLR mobile recorder and it's absolutely perfect. I use it for everything now. And so then we bought some Bare Dynamic Ultra Voice set of three that come with it for, I think at the time it was like $35 for these three microphones. And that's what we've what? literally been using the entire time. And they wow. sound amazing. Everything that we do on the podcast, except for now we're having a home set up in my house. But before we started recording in my house, everything could fit in a backpack. And whenever we travel to do interviews, we just grab our backpack. It's been a lot of trial and error. Now what we have is we have the same microphones for our mobile stuff, but now I'm trying to build out a home setting. So that way the backpack is always packed and we could just go and interview with people because we really prefer interview with people like we'll go drop in at gyms and we'll roll with people and then we'll interview afterwards and whatnot so having the ability to pack it and go was a big thing of ours but now we have for the homesteading this is a zoom zd1 which is the microphone that i'm using now and i'm still using my zoom h6 for that oh and then the camera that i use is a sony a6100 with a sigma 16 lens on it so wow. if you guys ever watch it, the quality is because of a good glass in front of a, a decent body. Can uh, you elaborate on the amount of work it is too? I mean, oh, I guess man. for any of those people out there, you know, that are interested in podcasting and video, you know, creating a, a video show of some sort, wherever the platform may be, can you talk to them, Travis? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to say is make sure you a lot enough time for it because it is for elbows type podcast. I pretty much do 99% of it. I do video editing. I do audio editing. I do outreach for social people, right? right? I run multiple social media accounts, a YouTube page, our website, I blog. And the way that I do it is in my head in between episodes, I'm like, I need to write a blog. I need to do Mm -hmm. three to four social media posts Mm -hmm. that are kind of like snippets of what the interview is. I need to research my next guest, you know, and there's, it's a, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot, lot. but you still have CrossFit. You have, or I should say juggernaut training. You have your BJJ, you have your family, your wife and kids. I'm also a full-time student also. So I'm going to school for my bachelor's right now. And you know, I have a newborn, I have a dog, you know, so I have two kids, a wife and all that stuff. And I, it's, it's a lot, but I honestly think Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this and just when people will tell you to stop focusing on so much and hone in on one thing he's like it's Mm. bs he's like if you can successfully spread your time to multiple things then do it and Mm -hmm. i definitely feel like sometimes my family might suffer from it or my schoolwork might suffer from it or i might miss a couple training like thursday i didn't go to Mm jujitsu because i was trying to put out content for the podcast things like that you just have to know how to balance it and don't go all in on one your family should always be first it's very time consuming, 100%. Mm-hmm. It could be a full-time job. So if you first start, just know you don't have to do everything at once. You could slowly and gradually ease into introducing one more thing and introducing one more thing. And if you're doing a podcast, audio quality is number one. I don't care what yes. anyone tells you. If you yes. are doing a podcast, <laughs> make sure your audio sounds good, man. I would argue that's even the case for video, man. Yeah, so I, I do a lot of research on video production and stuff like that too, obviously, because I, I try to make ours as high quality as possible. And mm-hmm. you can record a 
video over your phone, but you don't want to record audio for your podcast over your phone like that. It's just not oh, good. No. People care way more about audio than they do video. So don't worry about video. Make sure your audio game is always number one and on point. That's my biggest stress is I'm always like, how do I sound? How is this going to sound? Is there a lot mm-hmm. of reverb? Am I getting echoing in my room? Like right now I have too much echo in my room because I have too many hard walls. I need to get some dampening in here, but that's me nitpicking. You know? Right, sure, <laughs> you know sure. I mean? Always, so. always looking to to improve. Yeah, that's great, man. Right. Absolutely. Do you get that feeling after each interview of like, ah, oh, you know what I mean? Like that was awesome. Absolutely. It, it fulfills you in that way, right? So I try to be not rewarded by numbers or how many downloads we get or anything like that. I really am more rewarded on, holy crap, I just talked to this person or this person just sent me a message back. Even if they're saying no, like they reached out and thought it was important enough to say, hey, no, thank you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. Exactly. So there's been a lot of like no answer backs, you know what I mean? Bro, I'm, I have so many messages out there. I'm like, they haven't even looked at this yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so I find it way more rewarding knowing that, one, we get Instagram messages from people saying, I appreciate your content. We get people telling us we're doing a good job. Like That is way more rewarding than any amount of downloads we get a month or any amount of success that we get from yeah. the podcast. I, I want to make sure that people feel that they're their voice is kind of being hurt. It sounds kind of cliche or whatever, right? But the one belt everyone's going to get in jiu-jitsu when they start is the white belt. And there's a vast majority of jiu-jitsu practitioners are probably white belts. So having somewhere that they can go and relate and listen to like, oh man, this black belt completely understands, you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to relate everything back to that beginner practitioner Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that really are content hungry. They want to see if anyone's out there struggling with escaping mount or getting exhausted or like that. So those are way more gratifying to me than than anything else. In your first episode, you talk about that forever white belt mindset, which is the reason why you have the podcast name forever white belt, right? Mm -hmm. So it's 100% true. Like you should never stop wanting to learn. I tell my son Mm. this all the time. School doesn't stop when you graduate high school or Mm. when you graduate college. You should always, always want to be learning. If you're you're the smartest person in the room, then you need to go find a new room. There's no reason to stop growing as a person, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, psychologically, you know, spiritually, whatever it is. You should always mm-hmm. want to grow. And I'm, I'm not saying never settle, but you can always be a better person. Mm-hmm. And I think jujitsu really allows that humbleness to be like, I'm good. And then someone comes over and they're like, how do they do that? Now I got to go learn this. Jiu-jitsu does a great job of that. And I think if you ever get comfortable in jujitsu saying that, oh, I don't need to learn this or I don't need to worry about this, then you're only doing a disservice to yourself and the people around you. Because if you're not helping other people grow, then how do you expect yourself to grow? Or if you are not growing yourself, how do you expect to grow others? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I look at it when it comes to learning. I'm hungrier than I probably ever have been for information. And you know, what's interesting too, is that you don't need to make these huge leaps. You know, it doesn't have to be all like one big jump. The way you, for lack of a better term, like eat the elephant, right? Is right. Uh, one spoonful at a time. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that, and I, I'm guilty of it too, as a white belt. You think I have to learn all this right now. I have to learn rubber guard or I have to learn Delaheva or I have 
to learn spider or lasso or these extreme situations because if I ever get put in it, I want to know how to react to it. And you don't. You need to learn the basics. You need to have a good foundation of understanding the basics because then everything comes back to your basics. Everything comes back to your shrimping. Everything comes back to posture. Everything comes back to framing. It doesn't matter if you know 16 submissions from, I don't even know, worm guard or whatever. But if you don't know, if that person smashes past you, then what are you going to do, right? Like your worm guard mm-hmm. game is completely gone. Or mm-hmm. what if they never give you their lapel or their belt or, you know what I mean? So you have, mm-hmm. to, you have to understand the basics before you get too hungry and go into these crazy things. Roy Dean talks about it and he talks about how one of his black belts asking Roy Dean, hey, I want to do some exotic half guard stuff. And Roy Dean was like, why would you waste space in your brain on that? It's such an exotic thing. You'll probably never be there. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. if you keep finding yourself there, then understand the position, understand the move, and then learn it. But if you're not there all the time, then don't waste your time. The only part that I would push back on at all, if, you know, recently when Jonathan Thomas said something to me was that we all start from open guard. And so yeah, when I yeah, see I people, that. you know, start from closed guard, it's like, you know, you don't start in closed guard. You, you know, go from standing typically, and then you end up in some sort of open guard situation in order to get to closed guard. Yeah. So if you don't have an open guard game, then there's that intermediary step that needs to be started. Yeah, I agree with that, right? And that, like I said, like having that foundation of understanding your open guard, what even open guard is, right? If you're just yeah. sitting there and then your feet are planted on the ground and someone just walks to the side, you're like, well, you don't have an open guard. You still need yeah. to understand that, right? Like Delahiva's not going to help if you can't right. <laughs> stop the person from just sure. walking around you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You're in a side control escape situation now. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Where's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think people want to explore these exotic and interesting techniques and philosophies behind jiu-jitsu. And like I said, I'm guilty of it too when I first started. I was going to ask you, what were you like when you first started? What was it like to roll with you like the first thing? I feel bad for people that used to roll with me. Same, dude. I was stronger than I am now, smaller than I am now, and faster than I am now. Just not, not a good combo. So when I first started, I was 185 pounds and I had just recently stopped seriously exercising or crossfitting and whatnot. And so I still had relatively good strength, but I was 100% the spazzy white belt, man. I'm not going to lie to you. My little bit of wrestling background kicked in and it was, I'm going to die if I don't try to smash this person. You know what I mean? Right. I was trying to Hulkamania people's geese off their back. You know? Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> I, when I first started, I was definitely way too spazzy, using way too much strength. And I I was constantly told, hey, don't use your strength because you're going to hurt someone. Don't use your strength because you're going to hurt someone. And it's hard not to when that's, I don't know, and I'm sure other people will relate to this. I don't know how fast I'm going. I don't know Mm -hmm. how strong I'm being or how rough Mm -hmm. I'm being because I don't Mm -hmm. have that foundation of understanding in myself. I tell people all the time when I start something new, they're like, do you have any questions? I'm like, this is day one. I don't know enough to ask a question. I don't have that information to say, what do I need to do in X, Y, and Z, right? And when you first start jujitsu, it's the same thing. You have no understanding of what it feels like to not go 100%. You have no understanding of what it feels like to not muscle through something because you're developing that. You're understanding that as you go. You're building experiences from rolling and classes and getting your butt kicked and unfortunately maybe going a little too hard on people. But the best thing someone could do is tell you, look, bro, chill out, Mm -hmm. calm down. That's too hard. You know, so when I started to realize that me using too much strength and me going too hard or going too fast was a serious problem before I would start rolling. And once again, if you're getting told this, you can 100% do this. Before I started rolling, I would stop and I would say, hey, look, at any point you feel like I'm going too hard, I'm using too much muscle or I'm going too fast, stop me. 
because I need to know what it feels like. I need you to tell me, hey, mm. that was a little bit of a neck crank or mm. hey, that was a little bit of too much mm-hmm. muscle, right? You were just fighting with all muscle and no mm. technique because I'm not going to know if you don't tell me. So were you saying this to people who are at the same level as you? Everyone, mm-hmm. any, anyone I rolled with, or even if I got a submission, I instantly was like, was that all muscle or was that technical? Right. Because I need to implant that in my brain of what it felt like to me. When did this self-awareness sort of kick in, though? You know what I mean? Because you didn't know until yeah. someone, I'm guessing someone, or maybe you were looking around going, other people aren't doing this or, or whatever. Uh, the self-awareness definitely happened probably about six, seven months into jujitsu is when it got brought to my attention that mm-hmm. you're being a spazzy white belt. And I was like, excuse yeah. me? Like, well, like you said, you know, you're, you're in the first person. You're not like this. You're not the observer. So you can't right. see yourself. Right. So, yeah. Right. Right. So it, it caught me off guard. I was like, I don't feel like I'm being a spazzy white belt. Like, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? I'm not using a bunch of strength. I'm not, you know, smashing people with all my force and being a jerk. And, you know, that's not to say I was trying to destroy my friends and my classmates. You know, it was just it was just a little bit too much sometimes. The first time I heard it, I was like, nah, I don't know about that. And then I heard it from someone else. And I was like, nah, I don't know, maybe. And then I heard it from a third person. I was like, all right, there's something here. And mm-hmm. that's when mm-hmm. I realized I got to get that self-awareness and the understanding of myself because I can move heavyweight at the time. You know, I, I understood my body mechanics mm-hmm. and my, my spatial awareness as a person, but throwing the human element into that and other variables, I didn't understand yet. So mm-hmm. that's having those people being honest with me saying, dude, chill out really mm-hmm. was a game changer for me. That type of thing, like chill out, it's so general. Do you think there could have been anything more specific someone could have said to you early on to sort of help mitigate what was happening? Did you just have to go through the process? I think everyone just has to go through the process. I think if I was at a, a not a brand new school in a more well-established lineage or school or whatever, I think it would have been different because I would have had more people around me with more experience. So mm-hmm. as I would have rolled with that three, four-year blue belt or the brown belt that's been doing it for eight years or mm-hmm. a secondary black belt or whatever it is, right? I didn't mm-hmm. have that. My highest rank at the time was a purple belt. Then Professor Al came and he was a brown belt. And so yeah. I didn't have that wealth right. of knowledge and that understanding of jujitsu. Right. So we were all kind of figuring it out on our own. I think that's part of my journey was everyone was so fresh and so new. We were kind of all doing the same thing and we didn't even sure. understand it. I don't want to say pros and cons, but it, it was what it was, right? It, yeah, yeah, right. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. It's, it's helped me develop and make the self awareness that I have today because of it. But I'm sorry if you guys ever rolled with me before this and you're listening. And I was a spazzy <laughs> white belt. I'm so yeah. sorry. Especially when you see colored belts, you, you walk in day one, you're like, "Ooh, I want to go to that next colored belt," you know. Yep. And no one ever gave me context in terms of like when we're drilling with each other, we're practicing with each other, and other people mm-hmm. can have different motivations. Someone could be working on a de la Hiva or something, or they're defense only or something where I I thought you're supposed to just win 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 doesn't matter if they're female male whatever man you just win and then if you win enough you get a blue belt because he's the guy who's winning all the time yeah yeah I definitely agree with that man I I thought sparring was less of better words time to kill you know what I mean like it wasn't time to practice technique that I just learned in class it was I have to win this and another thing that we've heard is, you know, when you first start off, if you think you're going to get tapped, you're like, my bloodline, my lineage is dead. Like, I would have died. There's no more me. I got tapped. And it's like, it's yeah. not the truth, man. It's like, you're just, everyone should just have fun, practice your technique. And honestly, to your point, I wish I would have had that mindset.
mindset when I first started. I just learned this in class. I should probably only try to do this in right now because it, it wasn't that. It was, I'm going to be a spazzy white belt and I'm just going to try to tap people and I'm just going to try to smash people or I'm just going to try to have my way and do whatever I want. And I think my game could have been much different if I would have had that mindset from the get-go too. I think I heard Jocko said there's two types of people. You know, when you go to day one of jujitsu and you get kind of smashed and you're like, whoa, I want to learn more of that. Or you're, you're like, oh, whoa, I don't want any more. I don't need that again. Unfortunately, I was the latter. And it was weird because everyone that I've heard, everyone was like, whoa, I got smashed and I, I got helicopter or whatever. And man, I knew I had to come back and learn what was happening where I was, I was like, I'm not cut out for this. And I lost so much time because of that. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that. One of our interviews, we talked about don't let it get to you when you're getting smashed or someone's kicking your butt or something like that. Literally, everyone goes through it. I had a friend who did jujitsu two or three times when we were in Japan, and he was a former high school wrestler and whatnot. And so I thought he was going to enjoy it, right? Mm -hmm. But wrestling Mm -hmm. is different from the jujitsu. He did not like jujitsu. He doesn't like choking people. He doesn't like shoulder manipulation, joint manipulation, any of that Mm -hmm. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. He felt bad. And during class, he was my partner. And we're doing a bow and arrow, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And he would just get to the bow and arrow finish position and then let go. And I'm like, look, dude, you need to finish the choke. You need to understand mm-hmm. what it feels like. He's like, no, mm-hmm. I feel weird. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean you feel weird? He's like, I feel weird choking someone or sure. like extending someone's arm or something like that. I don't want right. to hurt someone. Right. I was like, well, that's the thing. The power is in the knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. The knowledge of you know when to stop or how mm. much you can put on. If you never experience it, then you're never going to have that knowledge to know when to stop or something like that, you know? Yeah. So perhaps he's looking at it and I've had this problem before of feeling like, like you're being too aggressive. It's uh, the technique that needs to be uh, honed in the craft, like you were yeah. sort of alluding to, right? Exactly. And the only way you're going to hone your craft is by practicing the craft. No one's going to understand it perfectly day one. So having that mindset and understanding, like, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not know what to do or when to stop, right? But the, mm-hmm. the thing is, is having the awareness and the self-awareness, like we were talking about earlier, of knowing when someone says, hey, that was a little too hard, like, oh, okay, now I know. Or when they're like, I wasn't fully there yet, try it this way. And you're like, okay, well, now I know. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So the power is really in the knowledge, especially with jujitsu. You don't know what you don't know. Now I'm wondering if there were people like, I'm, I'm going to avoid Travis, you know, those <laughs> early on, you know, were, he's, he's going to be that guy. Like, let's there avoid were. him. Yeah. That, no. Oh, no, thanks, I, man. I, next, I next one. Afterwards, and they're like, yeah, I didn't want to roll with you as a white belt. I saw you. I was like, what? I didn't know that, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> How do you think we get more people into the art? And then uh, additionally, do you think that this thing will grow ever to the point of like being a major sport, if you will? And do we even want that? You know, like a NFL, NBA, you know, that that's sort of a moonshot type of, you know, scenario. But it is growing quite a bit. It is. Yeah. I equate jiu-jitsu, like I said, back to CrossFit. And in 2012, when I first got into CrossFit and basically just fitness in general, that was the almost the pinnacle of the success in CrossFit. And coming into jiu-jitsu... And you can just see it on social media. Celebrities are doing it. Mm-hmm. People from other aspects of life are doing it. You know, successful, famous people, right? I think it's now at the point for me in my understanding of jiu-jitsu is it's kind of coming to that pinnacle of awareness to people. Like, oh, jiu-jitsu. I think or the first thing people think about when they think about jiu-jitsu is UFC or MMA or something like that. Of right? course, they, they, yeah. They, they always yeah. equate it to physical violence or yeah, yeah. whatever. The way we get more people into jiu-jitsu is, is just by exposure and not everything people see being a highlight reel or the MMA or something like that. Because I mm. think the biggest thing you learn from jiu-jitsu is internal. It's not mm-hmm. even external. Having yeah. confidence in yourself because of jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. having 
understanding of yourself in jiu-jitsu. I talked about my son earlier, right? He's mm-hmm. much more confident now. Not only do you have confidence in yourself, but my wife has more confidence in me as a person, as a man, as a husband, because mm-hmm. I, I train martial arts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think everything that comes from jiu-jitsu is much more internal than it is external. I think people mm-hmm. focus way too much on the external. There is so much growth as a person that comes mm-hmm. from facing adversity. And mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu is constant adversity, right? Like Mm -hmm. we use it for anger management. We use it for exercise. We use Mm -hmm. it for mental health. Whatever your reason is, usually the first thing that it's for is an internal stimulus and not an external. External Mm -hmm. is just a byproduct. It's something great. Mm -hmm. Being able to tap someone is a fantastic thing, but it doesn't matter how much you can tap someone if you don't have that self-confidence that you can tap someone. You don't have that like man, I'm kind of badass. You know what I mean? (laughs) Walking down the street, you hold your head up a little bit higher. I think those are, if people saw, I guess you could say, there's soft side and hard side of jiu-jitsu. Hard side, technique, physical aspects of it. Soft side, brain matter, spiritual, and all that stuff, right? Your your internal ticker of being able to do it and what comes from that. I think if people saw more of our soft skills in jiu-jitsu and that side, they would understand it better than seeing people getting their arms snapped on the TV or yeah, getting yeah. choked out or something like that, or bathroom fights in college and someone almost losing an eye. You know, <laughs> I, I like your context too, that you, you refer back to uh, CrossFit and other things too, because you do learn things like patience, you mm-hmm. learn how to learn, and then you also get inspired by community as well. Yes. The people around you and the different, I mean, all, from the varying types of physical attributes they may or may not have, it's really cool from that perspective. It teaches you humility, too. It's like mm-hmm. we've all seen the videos of bodybuilder comes in off the street or, sure. you know, MMA fighter comes in off the street or, right. you know, and then they get humbled, right? And yeah. then people usually have the sign-up sheet right next to them, like, hey, if you want to learn, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's humility. It's I think it's just a severe, not a severely, people that do jiu-jitsu understand it. People that don't do jiu-jitsu don't understand it, obviously, right? And I think if we could explain it to them in some way that it grabbed them, how do you sell you're going to learn to be more patient, you know, to I, someone, not, you know what I mean? It's not sexy. It's not sexy, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like people want sexiness. When we, or we maybe talk, it is. We just don't know how to market that yet. You I know, know what right? I mean? We talk about it when we program for group exercise, right? People don't want the, okay, you're going to go run a mile for time hmm. as fast as you can, or you're going to go ahead and do a single movement or a single modality or things that don't appear to be sexy. People don't want to do it. They want hardcore physical fitness or things that are going to challenge them beyond belief, you know, or they think is like the cool thing. They don't ever want something that doesn't appear to be eye grabbing. And mindset doesn't grab people. Telling someone like you to what you said, you're going to be Mm -hmm. more patient. You're going to be a a kinder person. You're going to not snap as fast or Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to de-escalate a situation much easier right because Mm -hmm. you have this you have that awareness it doesn't sell people and i tell people all the time there's something to my son being a jiu-jitsu because there is an authoritative figure outside of our household that holds him accountable Mm -hmm. you know what i mean he has a coach Mm -hmm. he has a mentor he has the second i wouldn't say father but you know an uh, adult figure to hold him accountable and i think there's something to that you know, even for adults, I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's a huge thing for even adults to have someone holding you accountable. You can't describe what it's like until you just experience it. And I was never in sports growing up. I did, I hated team sports. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, and maybe that's why I do jujitsu. It's definitely you know just one person. But now I realize the importance of having that figure in someone's life, and it could it can change people. It's also someone to recognize your accomplishments as well. Yeah, you know, even as an adult to say, hey, 
Travis, man, you just leveled up right there. And you're like, whoa, who tells right. you that in your adulthood? Maybe your boss at times when you get a promotion or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's a whole different deal, though. Having that color, that next belt wrapped around your waist in front hmm. of your peers is it's kind of spiritual. It's it's a tradition or it's so much more than just a belt when you let's talk about that then because you know there's that controversy where people say i wish there were no belt colors it sounds like for you and for myself it was a motivator of some sort right oh and when you got it it had a weight to it right a value yeah i definitely feel like my gi pants hang a little bit lower because my belt my blue belt is like so heavy now No, (laughs) (laughs) no i think belt colors how do i word this without sounding like because i'm a blue belt i think belt colors are important no (laughs) (laughs) But I think belt colors are a, a great way of showing one appreciation to someone, right? Saying, thank you for your hard work. Here goes the mm. next belt or here goes mm. a stripe or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a goal. There's a why to jiu-jitsu. There's a purpose to your jiu-jitsu for some people. Mm-hmm. Some people don't care about belts. They just like doing jiu-jitsu. For me, mm-hmm. the blue belt was my why. Why am I doing jiu-jitsu? Because I want to earn my blue belt. I want to have that recognition of, hey, I have a general understanding of jiu-jitsu, and this is the recognition for it. And now my why is I I want a purple belt. I want to show that I've been doing it seriously, and I take it serious, and I'm growing as a practitioner and and whatnot. And it's the next step for me, right? It's, Mm. It's a goal of mine. And things become clearer when you have goals within them. If you just show up to jiu-jitsu and you don't have any goals, you're you're just showing up. Mm. And it's not to say that you can't learn or you won't be motivated or whatnot, but mm-hmm. if you don't have a goal for why you're showing up, then it's going to be on those hard days, it's going to be harder for you to show up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I asked a question to Chewy, who was lucky enough to answer me from the jujitsu show. You know, I always hear this phrase that higher belts always say, you know, train with intention. And I never really understood what specifically do they mean by train with intention? That can mean a lot of different things, but often it's like come with a plan, come with a specific right. goal in my as to your point. Yeah, I think it's a very powerful thing having goals on and off the mat. You should always have goals. You should know what you're right. striving for, whether it's a promotion, make more money, be a better dad be a better person. Once again, I'm not talking about not settling, but I'm talking about growth. Hmm. Everyone should always want to grow. You should never be happy. Well, that sounds, I don't, before I say that, I don't, that sounds kind of what I don't want it to sound like. But growing as a person is always a good thing. You know what I mean? There you, go. you should always want to grow as a person. I see what you're saying, because everyone has a different path, right? In right, a different pace. Right. Getting back to the colored belt thing a little bit too, just logistically, it's also a good visual indicator or just is skill Absolutely. indicator, right? If you're pairing up a white and a purple belt, that white belt may or may not know what they're getting into, right? Yeah. yeah and conversely, yeah. that purple belt may not know that this is just a white belt. Maybe I shouldn't go full purple belt on them. Yeah, because in no-gi classes, a lot of times you don't know someone else's belt color. And I don't want to say I've done this before, but I've definitely mm-hmm. been coached by someone in the middle of a, a jiu-jitsu no-gi class uh-huh. where I was like, what belt are you? Like, <laughs> like, like, are you a white belt trying to tell me something? I'll still take it. Because like, what is your experience level, right? right? Or right. did you just watch a YouTube video and you've never actually done it before and you're trying to tell right. me that this is going to work, right? It's not saying that I won't listen to them, but it's kind of like, do you have the credentials to back up with what you're trying to say? Kind yeah. of mindset to it. So if someone tells me I'm doing something wrong, it's not like I'm, I'm like, F you, I'm a blue belt. I don't want to replace something in my head of a credible source with something that might not be credible. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, right, and right. belt colors are great for that. Then your thoughts on stripes. I don't know how I feel about stripes. I feel stripes are, are, are cool. I'm a two-stripe blue belt, which I don't think really has any significance to to me. I think for others, it shows, once again, a level of understanding and a level of expertise and 
technical ability, saying mm. like, well, he's obviously been a blue belt for a little bit of time, so mm. he has two stripes on his belt. But as a tracking your skill level, I think it's good to like your professor saying like, hey, you're doing good. Here goes another stripe. And having the four stripes like, oh, I'm almost ready for my purple belt. So I think there's I think there's benefits to it. But I kind of go back and forth about them. I, I feel like I appreciate them a little bit too much. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I didn't get yeah. another. I didn't get another stripe today. Oh, I didn't get a stripe today. Or, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. it's like one of those things. It's like it's like when am I going to get my next stripe? When am I going to get my next stripe? You know, it's it's a goal. Yeah. I imagine you do have some injuries and lingering sort of kinks. Yeah. Can you talk about those and how you've dealt with injury and any time off the mat and how do you mitigate this kind of stuff? When it comes to injuries, I haven't had any major injuries. Fortunately, in awesome. my I haven't broken an arm or fingers or dislocated anything yet most of my injuries are from strength and conditioning mm-hmm. and then they kind of transferred over into jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. my biggest thing is probably my right knee my patella tendon under my knee is i have tendonitis in it so it's an, it gets inflamed really easily and whatnot mm-hmm. so sometimes when i'm playing side control or something where my my knee is on the mat i'll have to mm. not because it gets inflamed and it hurts to touch so when it comes to injuries i rarely ever take time off the mat because i don't know i think there's always something to learn and you can always expand on something else. If I have an injury that hinders my, like we said earlier, my A game, right? Then I got to figure out something else, right? I have to mm-hmm. focus on something else so I can still I can still grow. Or just simply, I think one thing people do when they get injured in jiu-jitsu, whether it's minor or major, is they just stop coming to class. I think you should still come to class if you're injured. Now, whether you are participating in the class or not, that's something different. That's completely up to you. But you should at least, at the minimum, show up and yeah. sit on the side of the mat and listen and watch yeah. and yeah. maybe take notes or videos or something like that. I feel yeah. I feel when beginner practitioners, either they try to train through an injury and get hurt more or they use their injury as a crutch and just stop coming for however long they feel is necessary. I think for growth, you need to still show up, even if you're injured. Just hang out on the side and pay attention to class and because you're going to get nuggets no matter what. There's degrees of training too. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to roll afterwards. If you're afraid of your injury getting worse from rolling, then don't roll. If you're in a position and it starts to hurt, get out of that position or tell someone like, hey, man, I'm not going to get in that position. And the, if you're doing a technique and you're like, man, this is really aggravating my injury, my lower back or whatever, then don't do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just express yeah. that to someone or even grab your professor and be like, hey, I have an injury. This position hurts it right now. What else can I do to still have the same effect or whatever? Because you're going to just go a different path and he might give you some stuff and he be like, now don't tell no one this. You know what I mean? And so people might yeah, not yeah. expect it. It's definitely you should still show up and experience and still learn from the class, even if you're injured, whatever it oh. looks like for you. I definitely play around how I feel. You know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah. it, not every day is 100% Travis or not every day is two-stripe blue belt Travis. Some days are brand new Travis, not understanding or not wanting to push it really hard. Or There's varying degrees of myself also. And I, like I said, I take days off. I still take days off. Let's go to dark side Travis then. And let's talk about a time or has there been any time that you wanted to quit? Yeah, I definitely think there was a point in my jiu-jitsu where blue belt blues wasn't like in full effect but i definitely thought i wasn't kind of imposter syndrome right i was like man i'm mm-hmm. not i have this blue belt around but i'm not really knowing this stuff i'm not really gaining anything from it i feel like i didn't have the passion there or whatnot and it's probably because i was going more than i probably should have and mm. 
I was digesting too much outside the mat and on yeah. the mat. And so I kind of was getting burnt down on it. It's like no matter no matter how much you love something, there's going to be moments where you're you're going to have your highs and lows. We're humans. I've never quit jiu-jitsu, but I have even recently I, I have, I've cut back my jiu-jitsu. So I only go two, three times a week, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with not making it to a class and whatnot because that's what's good for my mental health. That's what's good for my family, right? You have to have priorities. If your priority is winning the world championships in your belt, then you have a priority of going to jiu-jitsu more or right, taking right. it more seriously. That's not my goal. I'm a blue belt. I don't really plan on competing too much. I would like a purple belt, but I'm going to do it on my terms. And however long that takes me is how long it takes me because I don't want to get burnt out. My white to blue, I was four or five days a week on the mat, two, three hours, digesting as much content as I can. John and I were taking Sundays and we would roll for 45 minutes straight, no breaks, right, just right. going, 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 tapping, <laughs> release, tap and release, you know. Yeah, two a and, days and everything. Yeah, yeah. Ex- uh-huh. exactly. And yeah. so because I, I had a goal and I thought – that was how I was going to accomplish my goal. And then I got <laughs> right. to my belt, my blue belt, and I realized, like, the journey's not over. So why did I spend that much time doing it? You know yeah. what I mean? Why did I devote that much of myself to it? Yeah, I probably got my blue belt faster because of it. But mm. at what expense? Mm. You know what I mean? So I think that was a moment of I really just need to enjoy it more. I really just need to show up to class and pick a partner that I can have fun with and not take it too seriously, but still learn. You point out the pitfalls of overtraining, you know, because usually it's kind of the other way around and almost an over intake of information of, of techniques, et cetera, can be a detriment to your journey. I talk about my buddy Cody all the time because he's a big influence on my life and one of my mentors and he owns his own gym and he owns our jujitsu school. And he told me, he's like, I felt overwhelmed because I was spending so much time learning that I just couldn't take a break. And he's mm-hmm. like, so I had to step away from knowledge because I was overstimulating myself with it. And it could do you could do that in jujitsu, 100%. You mm-hmm. can do it physically and mentally. You can overstimulate yourself. You have to have that self-awareness of, we always talk, we keep talking about self-awareness. And you have to have that self-awareness of knowing when too much is too much. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to get burnt out. Jiu-jitsu is the long game, man. That, that yeah. next belt is on, honestly the short game. It's micro versus macro. Your belts are micro, I promise you. The long macro game is staying in jiu-jitsu and getting better yep. and learning. Yep. You know what I mean? And people focus mm-hmm. so much on their micro game that they lose sight of that. And if they don't get that stripe, like I was talking about earlier, that's so minuscule. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, I, well, obviously I'm not getting good, so why am I still doing this? It's minuscule. Just, mm-hmm. just keep showing up. Yeah, there's real danger to becoming a technique hunter as well. For a while, you realize, oh, man, I'm being overburdened with just too much generalization, no specialty, no deep knowledge of as much as you should have of something. What's the saying? Yeah, Uh, Bruce Lee, the kick, whatever. I fear the man that's done one kick 7,000 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 7,000 kicks or whatever the number is. Yeah, Yeah, right. So it's the truth because Mm -hmm. you can learn every technique under the sun, but if you haven't practiced on them, what good are they? It's pointless. It doesn't do anything for you. You know, you're just taking up unnecessary space in your head for something that is more valuable, you know. And that's not to say yeah. don't hunt techniques. If you're hungry, feed the hunger. Be smart about it. Have you ever hit any plateaus? I have just recently came out of plateau. The last, like, two, three weeks, I've been rolling and I've been feeling good. And I've, I've been leaving class like, whoa, I think I'm coming back up on it. But, yeah, I probably just got out of a plateau probably about a year. Not not a year. Six months of a, a plateau when classes weren't very... 
consistent because of COVID and, mm-hmm. and my training wasn't very consistent and I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. There was no direction in my training. And I was like, man, maybe mm-hmm. I should just wait until COVID's over to get back into being more consistent. And I just kept showing up and when classes got more consistent, I, w- I had been training the whole time. So I didn't really lose anything. Yeah. And yeah, so now, now I'm starting to feel like I'm, I'm ramping back up again. You know, yeah. like I, I rolled with Cody today and he's six, five, 220 just brown belt long and lengthy and i passed his guard twice and it, yeah. i was like i was like yes <laughs> now yeah. if you let me do that that's different but i would i take it as a victory <laughs> that's great too because it's not even like a sub you know what i mean it can be little things like well maybe huge things like that you know right passing someone sweeping someone or just getting a lapel grip yeah absolutely i think people need to focus more on the the small victories you yeah. don't always have to submit someone for it to be a victory. The first big victory I had in jiu-jitsu was rolling with Cody and not getting submitted one time. That mm. was my first substantial victory in jiu-jitsu because mm. I was like, dude, I just lasted five minutes with this dude and I didn't get tapped. Now, maybe he didn't try as hard as usual, but I'm going to take the victory as a victory. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of victories, do you ever let white belts win do you let them work? Yeah, I definitely, I, I usually don't feed submissions too much to lower belts, but I won't hunt submissions or I'll kind of just get my, put myself in a bad position and see what they do. And mm-hmm. if I feel like they're working towards a submission, I'll kind of like let them work towards it and not mm-hmm. offer too much resistance and see if they get the technique down. And if they execute the technique with pretty solid, I'm like, hey, that was great. But if they fall back for an arm bar and their hips aren't under my elbow or they don't have my arm tight, then I'll stop them and say like, hey, this is what you need to do or something like that. Because I think cool. as, as higher belts, you have that belt for a reason and the people mm-hmm. below you can gain some knowledge from you don't be stingy with your knowledge you should always be able to pass your knowledge on to someone right that seems to be like a cultural dependency depending on on your school right some schools are like do not teach only the teacher can teach or i guess that depends on where you're training yeah and that's not to say now that you mentioned that that right not to say teach the person (laughs) the technique being able to help someone understand the technique is different than trying to teach them the technique You're like, hey, this didn't work because you didn't do this. Like that arm bar didn't work because I could hitchhike out or I could get the top arm off or or top leg off of my head or something like that, right? So I think that's teaching them the nuances that you can only learn in live rolling sometimes is helpful. Now, don't say, well, Travis from Elbows Tight Podcast says, that's how I'm going to edit it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And next time or whenever I get to roll with Travis, right when he has me that cross color, I'm going, wait a minute, Travis, you see what you're doing wrong? is let's start over yeah yeah right right another thing i wanted to ask you too is uh speaking of covid and stuff how does that treated you guys in washington and, and the academies you know here in california it's, it was obviously probably the most locked down state in the nation yeah. you know but things are opening up here now uh, all of a sudden because people are itching and they, they're just over it How, how's it looking there we're doing great here people are starting to come back out of the woods and be more open to crowds and whatnot and our classes are starting to have more people show up Mm. we talked to jason kalipa and he talked about how he feels crossfit or general fitness is going to be pretty Mm. big after covid shut oh yeah right oh hell yeah but he thinks jujitsu is going to be much bigger than both of them because people are going to crave that human interaction and jujitsu is 100 percent human interaction so he feels that it's going to grow much faster after covid and i kind of agree with that because i've seen newer people now that i've never Mm -hmm. seen before now that the restrictions we live in a county that 
are usually ahead of the nation because we're a very small county and we're a red county to not get into politics, but they're usually mm-hmm. a bit more lax. So we had less restrictions lately than probably most mm-hmm. other places. So we're starting to see more people show up and whatnot. I'm excited to see what it's going to look like once everything opens back up. Oh man, I can't wait to get in there. Yeah, I'm seeing a, a lot of the CrossFit gyms here too. They're exploding. I mean, because as you know, they got a strong sense of community as well. Yes. Yeah, I think people realize that how important physical fitness was during this last year. So I'm guilty of it. I gained, you know, like I said, 20 pounds from mm-hmm. the having a baby and taking care of the baby and the stresses of that, and then not, yeah. not taking my fitness as serious as I should have during the lockdowns. So- Can you tell me a time of when you've seen something cool or something special with a uh, your team, one of your teammates? I think the probably the the coolest thing I've seen is my teammates compete. I think it's a big thing to put yourself out there on the mat in front of people you don't know against people you don't know. And mm-hmm. I haven't competed yet. And so seeing them compete and take medals home or like John got second or third place in his first competition. I thought that wow. was super rad. That's and awesome. he did it in a weight class higher than the one he should have been in because wow. he was afraid he was going to be too heavy for the weight class he wanted mm-hmm. to be in. So he was with his gi on 181 pounds, but he was mm-hmm. competing in the like 195, 205 <sighs> division. He was going against people much bigger than him. And so that was super rad to see John place in that competition and win wow. matches and get submissions and whatnot. And that's probably the coolest thing is when people put themselves out there and they get rewarded. That's super cool to me, man. What practitioners do you admire Ooh, and why? Definitely Roy Dean, like I talked about earlier. Because his quality content is amazing and he's very simplistic in the way he explains stuff and and whatnot. If we go into styles that aren't really mine, but the Gordon Ryans, the Kina Corneliuses, Craig Jones, right? I feel those people are helping the sport grow and get way more exposure for jujitsu to be a full-time job for athletes, Mm. which is great. But John Danaher, right? How could you not? He's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a bunch of people out there. I I look for people right now that are not world-class, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. I look for people that have normal day jobs, right? And yeah. or they are purple or blue belts and they're successful or mm-hmm. brown belts and successful, right? Like it's mm-hmm. great to admire a world champion black belt, but I mm-hmm. I can't relate to them as much as I can someone going through what I'm going through. So I usually just follow just normal people on Instagram and see see how they're doing and what they're they're doing to to get better. I do want to ask you the million dollar question. How did you learn to tie your belt? How did I learn to tie my belt? Like I can't tie my shoes right and I'm 31 years old, but I can't tie my (laughs) belt right finally. How did I learn to tie my belt? I think it was on Instagram. I used to do just a standard square knot, but now I do the Hollywood tie where you wrap it around your belt and then tie under. If you Mm. guys don't know what I'm talking about, you can see it. I think it's called the Hollywood tie, but it makes a beautiful knot. It it was funny. I was looking at when I got promoted to blue belt and I put my old pictures up of my belts before. And yeah, it was, it was, terrible i had like this <laughs> vertical knot i had one awesome. knot that was on my side oh, like, everyone yeah. look for those pictures and let's yeah, judge them to- <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I i learned from just i think it was instagram or something like that and no my buddy nate was the first one to do the hollywood tie and i saw it and i was like that thing is dope i want to learn that and I, he showed me how to do it and i've been tying it like that it, it usually never comes off it, it gets a little loose but it usually never falls off my body which is really nice 
early on with my daughter when she was doing jujitsu, I did the major mistake of uh, forcing her to go every day, uh -huh. and and there was a lot of pressure there. And in retrospect, I can tell that that turned her off to it a lot, and that was a hard lesson to learn, but really wasn't her thing. She went on to do other type of activities that she's into. What's your perception on how do you uh, finesse that with your kid and how do you see other parents dealing, you know, with their kids? And also what, what makes a good kids program? Does your kid really like the program? Good questions because it, it is definitely a struggle any parent probably goes through that has mm -hmm. their kid in jujitsu because it is hard. It does teach them responsibility and accountability and whatnot, not only for their actions, but the kids class gets dropped all the time to do push because one kid is talking too much or mm. they're not paying attention, right? But to your point, I felt myself kind of falling into that too of forcing my son into jujitsu when he didn't want to do it, right? Mm. But the thing was, like any 12-year-old, he would say, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he would get there, and he would do it, and he would have a blast. And he'd leave, mm. and he'd be like, that'd be a lot of fun. So every sure. time he tells me, I don't want to go, I'm like, you say that now till we get there, and then you're amped and ready to go. I think what makes a good kids program is holding them accountable, teaching them teamwork, and then just the class being fun. It's so I, important, I, man. I, exactly. I think I've seen lots of kids' classes where they're trying to teach the adult technique to the kids, right? We have three levels in our school. We have the minions, which are like three to six years old or three to seven years old. And then wow. we have the kids, uh, which is up to 16 or 17. And then we have the adult class, right? Mm -hmm. And the minions class is just really a lot of games and teaching them about their bodies and a little bit of technique here and there, like an arm bar or mount and escapes and stuff like that. But mm. you put one kid in a mount, he's just going to fall off the other kid. He's not going to know exactly what to do. <laughs> you know, so yeah. just making it as fun as possible. And totally. I think I kind of was taking that fun away from my son for a little bit when I was kind of like, we're going, we're going, we're going. And you can only do so much as a parent until they have to find their own journey also. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think he found himself in jujitsu. So he's a little bit more accepting of when we have to go. That's great. You know, I think the two biggest areas of growth for jujitsu right now and that I'm seeing, which seems to be happening right now, is leg lock defense and kids programs. The strategy and the plan for them is just improving now more and more. And I think a lot of more really smart people are getting involved in teaching the kids class. And it's becoming much more sophisticated in a way yeah. for kids, which is there's a lot of room for growth. And I'm seeing some instructionals now yeah, uh, yeah. on it. And I'm, you're like, wow, this is a whole thing now, man. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you can grow the kids' jujitsu, it's just going to make better adult practitioners. If the kid starts when they're five, six years old, and they go until they're 18, that's mm. 12 years of jujitsu and right, one of their right. most growth parts of their life. They're going mm. through puberty, they're putting muscle on or whatever, and their body's yeah. going to be formed around being a jujitsu practitioner. So mm -hmm. you're just going to make like a, a, like a super machine. <laughs> How do we find out more about what you're up to? This is going to be a long one. So if you guys want yeah. to follow me, uh, <laughs> you can follow my personal Instagram, Travis ETP on Instagram. The Elbows Tight podcast Instagram is Elbows Tight Pod on Instagram. We have a website, elbowstight.com. We have a blog there. We're going to be putting merch out, all kinds of crazy stuff. Our Facebook page, YouTube, El Elbows Tight anywhere. And you'll, you'll find us. Elbows Tight Podcast anywhere. You'll find us. We're on any platform you want to listen to us to. And the big thing I try to do is just put it out there as much as possible. That way, there's no excuse for you not to listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Travis. It's been a blast. I hope you come again sometime. Hey, hey, absolutely, man. Thank you so much. So this is a whole lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Awesome.